have your copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to open with us to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Uh, We're launching into a new series. This is called Gospel Conversational Marriage, uh, Engaging the Gospel in Everyday Life. And this series is for all of us. Whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're nearly married or newly married, or numbly married, just barely hanging on, uh, whether you one day hope to be married, never wish you got married. Right? This is for all of us. And Hebrews 13.4 helps us see that and gives us a launching pad to launch into this series. So I'm excited about Hebrews 13, verse number 4. You may be thinking, well, why a, a, a series on, on marriage? It's no secret, is it? I mean, marriage has been in decline since the 1970s. It's just been plummeting of late. Marriage rates have. In fact, half of Americans today say marriage, or half of Americans today say marriage is obsolete, irrelevant, outdated. 71% of Americans say that marriage is not that important for people who have children together. 85% say it's really not that important for people who are going to spend their lives together. Yet at the same time, 70% of Americans have been married at some point in their lifetime. And over 80% of singles one day hope to be married. So what is that? Here's the bottom line. You've got fewer and fewer Americans saying marriage is important. While more and more Americans hope one day to say, I do. Very interesting. What's happening with marriage? So this Sunday, I want to... Make a case for marriage, not against marriage. We've got plenty of people making a case against marriage. But we're going to make a case for marriage today. And we're going to do that in Hebrews 13, 4. So if you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Verse number 4. One verse. We'll read it and then spend some time unpacking it together. So here we go. Hebrews 13, verse number 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Father, would you help us today? Holy Spirit, would you help us today to hear from you, to receive this word, and to respond to your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So here's the uh, message, uh, sermon in a sentence. I call it the takeaway. Today I've worded it much like a challenge. So here's the challenge. Make much of marriage. Make much of marriage. Uh, Making much of marriage is a must. We must, church, make much of marriage. And in this verse, we see two places that pop off the page where we need to make much of marriage. Number one... We need to make, mar- make much of marriage in public, not publics. We live right down the street from publics, uh, so we do sometimes on date night end up at publics at the end of it. So we do make much of marriage in publics, but do it in public all the time. Make- marriage should be held in honor among all. That's what that means. Make much of marriage in public, in the public arena. The word let here is found often in Hebrew. Somebody say let. 
Yeah, there are 14 let us statements in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Here here they are. Let us be careful uh, not to fall short of God's rest. Let us enter God's rest. Let us hold firmly to the faith. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us leave the elementary teachings. Let us draw near to God. Uh, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us spur one another on. Let us throw off what hinders us. Let us run the race that is set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us be thankful. Let us go outside the camp. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise. Over and over and over again you find this word led. And I was reading through Hebrews and studying for this message, I couldn't help but think of this guy who has made $400 million by publicly saying his trademark phrase, let's get ready to rumble. And I was reading this and I came to verse number four, I couldn't help but think, let marriage be held in honor. <laughs> couldn't help but think that way. Let us, in public, among everybody, hold marriage in honor. And it's far worth, worth far more than $400 million. And this verse proves it. So let's look at it together. Let marriage be held in honor. We don't know the human author who penned this letter. We know God Almighty is the author, right? We know... All scriptures breathed out by God himself, but we don't know what person he used to pen this letter. We just don't know. What we do know about Hebrews is it was written to Jewish Christians, written to to Jews who were following Jesus, okay? And we know that what they believed and how they behaved was deemed nonsense in their culture. Isn't that much like America today? The church in America, Christians in America, we live in a culture that reject Jesus. We live in a culture that reject His Word. And the way we behave and the way we live and what we believe is deemed nonsense according to this culture and according to this world. And so I love what the author here does when he gets to this last chapter. This last chapter, he really gets down to the brass tacks. Much like the book of James, he, he pushes out all the fluff and he just gives us the nuts and bolts. He gives us the meat and potatoes. He gives us the essentials. He gives us the cold, hard facts. And in this list of issues, these nuts and bolts, marriage made the list. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And the word marriage in the Greek literally means to be married. That's what it means. It means to be married. More specifically, the union between a man and a woman. You will not find, if you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, 100% of the time. 100% of the time, marriage is always and only between a man and a woman. Marriage is not a man marrying a man. That is not marriage. You will not find a woman marrying a woman. That's not in here. Now, yes, there are men in Scripture that have many wives, and that is a slap in God's face as well. That's not how God designed marriage. 
between one man and one woman. But what you will not find in all of Scripture is a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman. It's not here. We need to make much of marriage in public. Husbands and wives, make much of your marriage. When you're out together, Tanya and I like to go on date nights. And sometimes when we go on date nights, we go to the movies when there's something we can watch. And we go, and I like popcorn. Anybody like popcorn? Butter or no butter? Did everybody say butter? I get no butter because there's butter on it already. You know that, right? Everybody says this to no butter, right? Okay. All right. So I like popcorn, and I get popcorn. I always ask Tanya, would you like some popcorn? She says, no, I don't want any popcorn, as she eats half my bucket of popcorn on the way to our seats. I get to the seat, half the bucket's gone. Right? I've learned this in marriage, man. Whether it's popcorn or French fries, your wife can have all of yours she wants. You can't have any of hers. Right? So when in, Tanya said, right. So in public, make much of marriage. When you're together, make much of marriage. When you're not together, maybe you're out, on your, out at work or doing something with the guys or hanging out with the ladies, ladies, make much of your marriage in front of them. Brag on him and her in front of them. Make much of marriage in public. And this, this is where we see it in verse 4. It says, let marriage be held in honor like It is precious, it is valued, it is costly, it is greatly prized. It is to be of exceptional value is marriage. That's how we should hold it. That's how we should view it. That's how we should think about it. That's how we should speak about it. It's similar to the blood of Christ being more precious than gold. Marriage should be viewed in such a high view and esteem as it is found in Scripture. Now let me be clear. Marriage is not required of everybody. You don't have to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, or you don't have to be married to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You could even make the argument, according to 1 Corinthians 7, as Paul writes, that when you're single, it actually gives you more opportunity to be sold out for Christ because you're not tied to the commitments of marriage. You can make that argument. So marriage is not required of all. Now, if you want a life partner, it's required of you, <laughs> period. But, but, but if, if not, if you're content in singleness, it's not required of you to, to be married, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Of course not. It's not required of everybody, but it must be respected by everybody. It's not to be reevaluated by anybody, but it's to be valued by everybody. Whether you're single, divorced, widowed, married, it's to be valued by everybody. All of us must honor marriage. And we see it in the picture of the Trinity. Think about the Trinity. Think about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. God the Son, the second person. God the Holy Spirit, the third person. All three affirm marriage at different times in Scripture. All three of them. God the Father affirmed marriage at creation. After he took that rib out of Adam... And he made Eve. You know what he did with Eve? He took Eve, and the Bible says he brought her to the man. Amen, men? Yes, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Yes. God the Father at creation affirmed marriage. Then God the Son at his incarnation, when he was incarnated in the flesh, there were some Pharisees that asked him a question about divorce in Matthew 19. 
And he quotes from Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his... Have you not read? It is written. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. What God has put together, let not man separate. God the Son affirming marriage in his incarnation. Then we see God the Holy Spirit affirming marriage through the Scripture's inspiration with Peter and Paul and others. Affirming marriage. So God the Father at creation. God the Son at His incarnation. God the Holy Spirit through the Scripture's inspiration. All three affirming marriage. As much today as they did then. In verse 8 it reads here in Hebrews 13, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not different. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Marriage is not what man says it is. Marriage is what God says it is. Think about it like this. Marriage is the first institution God made. Not the second one, not the third one, the first one. The first institution God created was marriage. And he created marriage before the fall, before sin. He didn't create government before sin. He didn't create the church before sin. He created marriage before sin. You know what that means, church? Marriage is older than the church. That means that there is no church. Hear me, hear me, hear me well. There is no church. There is no association of churches. There is no denomination. There is no convention. There is no church who has any authority at all whatsoever to say, okay, now we're going to be inclusive and we're going to embrace same-sex marriage. The church can't do that. Why? Because marriage is older than the church. Marriage is older than government. There's no government. I don't care if it's state, I don't care if it's local, I don't care if it's city, if it's county, if it's national, international, world government. Marriage is not what government says it is. Marriage is what God says it is. Marriage is older than our Supreme Court. Marriage is older than the President of the United States. Marriage is older than our congressmen and women. Marriage is older than government. It's older than our schools. It's older than the church. Marriage is older than America. 70% of Americans say same-sex marriage is okay. Hey, marriage is older than our nation. Marriage is not what man says. it. Marriage is what God says it is. And what God says it is, is it's this union between a man and a woman. A husband and a wife. And all of us, not some of us, all of us are to hold it in honor among all at all times. Including marrieds and unmarrieds and everybody in between. So what was going on when this was written? For this to be written. In other words, what's the context? What is happening in this culture at this time for this statement to be written? Let marriage be held in honor among all. Two things were going on. There were two extremes. Both of them dishonored marriage. One of them, asceticism, and the other one was libertinism. Asceticism is this view, it's this lifestyle, it's this belief of self-discipline and avoidance of indulgence typically for religious reasons and in the first century the ascetics believed that marriage was too indulgent 
In fact, they taught that virginity is the only way anybody could be a perfect Christian. You had to be a virgin. And so what they taught is, this is where celibate monks came from and, and all those type of things. So they taught that, hey, if you get married, you are spiritually inferior only because you got married. And that, in fact, dishonored marriage, right? You follow me? So that's one extreme. The other extreme, libertinism. Now, Count Leo Tolstoy, uh, late in his life, adopted this asceticism view of marriage. Now, he, he did have a daughter. So being a dad of daughters, maybe he was biased in this. But this is what he wrote to his daughter about marriage years ago, centuries ago. Here's what he wrote. I can understand why a depraved man may find salvation in marriage, but why a pure girl should want to get mixed up in such a business is beyond me. If I were a girl, I would not marry for anything in the world. And so far as being in love is concerned, for either men or women, since I know what it means, that is, it is an ignoble and above all an unhealthy sediment, not at all beautiful, lofty, or poetical, I would not have opened my door to marriage. I would have taken as many precautions to avoid being contaminated by that disease as I would to protect myself against far less serious infections such as scarlet fever, end quote. If Tolstoy was living today, I guess he would say, I'd rather have COVID-19 than I had get married, okay? Not a great view of marriage, certainly dishonoring this gift God has given us in marriage. So that's one extreme. The other extreme were the libertines, libertinism. And, and these folks were of the belief that marriage was too restrictive. Man, to believe that sex is only for the marriage relationship is unreasonable. You can't expect us to live under such restrictions. They wanted to be free. And so they adopted this view of, of the pursuit of pleasure, no matter the cost. And so they would say that, hey, marriage is an optional, provisional contract that can be broken for any reason and at any time. And so that, in effect, dishonored marriage. So both of these extremes were dishonoring marriage. So the author of Hebrews says, wait a minute, marriage is to be held in honor among everybody, among all of us, not just those who are married, but everyone. And we're in danger, church, today of, of our, our, our view of marriage just being lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered. While Jesus doesn't change, it's been up here for him the whole time. Yet we have, here's the sad thing. Marriage is dismissed more than it is missed. It is dishonored more than it is honored from our cultural perspective. It's a sad day. And, and let me say this too. Anyone that's single or divorced or widowed, if you're in that categories or those categories, listen, you are not a second-class citizen in no way. In fact, you can make a strong argument that, you're, that, that, that you have more opportunity to serve Christ from 1 Corinthians 7 than those who are committed in that marriage relationship. But let me, let me, let me challenge you with this. Don't allow Satan to lure you into adopting a low view of marriage. Don't, don't speak a disparaging word against the gift of marriage. Now, I'm not making light of your situation. I know if you're divorced, your marriage hurt. I know that. I'll never understand what you've been through and what you've gone through. I'll never understand your hurt, and I'm sorry for that hurt. I really am. 
But in the midst of that, don't allow Satan to lure you into this place where you speak of and think about marriage in a negative way. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Even though you are in a place where you've not experienced a good marriage, maybe you're in a bad marriage right now, but ask the Holy Spirit to help you have a view of marriage that is high and honor marriage in public. Tony and I have done some research as we write in this book, and one thing that I'm convinced of is there's a direct correlation between marriage rates and the rates of crime, sexual abuse, sex trafficking, adoption, abortion, fostering, all these issues, important issues. They're important issues. Every one of them is important. But here's what I've discovered. Take child poverty and underachieving children, for example. One study reported there's a common denominator between child poverty and underachieving children. And the common denominator is not race. It's not gender. It's not social status. It's not household income. The common denominator is the sinking marriage rates. In fact, the article said this, and I read, listen to this, no other form of relationship offers anywhere near the same level of stability in any thriving culture in the whole of human history than the marriage relationship. Here's what it said, if we cared about children, if we cared about children, we would care about marriage. Let's not pretend that we've abandoned marriage for the benefit of children. We've done it solely for the freedom of adults. End quote. What about abortion? You realize 83% of women who get abortions are unmarried? Married women are far less likely to get abortion than unmarried women. Sex trafficking, 88% of children who are sex trafficked, 88% are in the child welfare system. 88%. What about physical health and financial stability? Decades of research show that married couples have better financial stability and health than unmarried. Kid raised in single parent homes more likely to commit violent crimes and use drugs. Child poverty. Marriage reduces child poverty by 80%. Even pornography use is less among marrieds than unmarried. It's high among marrieds. Don't get me wrong, but it's less than the rate of unmarried. Again, I'm convinced that all these issues are important issues that we have to be concerned with and we have to deal with them. Tanya and I are meeting with one more child here in a week or so, a a ministry that has a sex trafficking ministry, uh, rescuing those ladies out of that lifestyle and rescuing those children out of that lifestyle. And so we're looking to see how we might can partner with them. So those are important issues. But church, those are symptoms of a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is we've abandoned marriage. We've taken what God gave us in Genesis 2 and we've tried to redefine it, redesign it, and just dishonored it, abandoned it. And these are symptoms of that greater problem. So how can we make much of marriage in public? Let me challenge, you know, Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus give himself up for the church? Did he do it in public or did he do it in private? He did it very publicly. He was humiliated publicly. He was beaten publicly. He was crucified publicly. He shed his blood publicly for you and for me. 
See, marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ and the church. That's the mystery of marriage. It is the gospel. And so every time you live in a way that honors your spouse and honors God, and if you're single, live a pure life, and you're honoring marriage that way. Before, during, and after marriage, live a pure life, and that honors marriage. This is how we do it in a very public way. Here's another way. Married couples, you need to find a local church and join it and get plugged in. A friend of mine said his wife was talking to, the, to a child protective services director who told her that in her experience, every single successful reunification of a child back with his or her parents, every single time where it lasted, a local church was involved 100% of the time. Man, how important it is to get in church and to get your family in church and to get your marriage in the local church and to make much of marriage in public. Jesus made much of you in public. It's time for us to make much of him. Amen, church? Here's a second place we find that marriage must be made much of. Make much of marriage in private, behind closed doors, in your home. Make much of marriage. Man, this is key. I had a buddy of mine that said, <laughs> he, uh, on the, the year that he forgot about uh, his anniversary, just forgot it, his wife gave him the, the best anniversary gift she could have ever given him. She forgot their anniversary too. <laughs> Man, what a great gift on the year you forget, right? Make much of marriage in, in private, in your relationship. One lady was at, my mom was asked, hey mom, how did you make it 55 years of marriage? What's your secret? She said, well, we never hated each other on the same day. (laughs) Amen to that, man. Yeah, make much of marriage. In in private, make much of marriage. We were at the dinner table the other night. Tanya and I, you know, we're kind of new at this parenting stuff. We've never done it before, you know, so we're... We're trying to make our way through, uh, trying to parent a, a preteen teenager. So we're working through that. And we were at the dinner table the other night. And Tanya was, and Tanya and Belle were sitting across from each other. And Brady and I were sitting across from each other. And Tanya and Belle are just spitting images of each other. And Tanya was telling Belle, Belle, don't sit on your feet at the dinner table. You know, she was sitting in her chair on her feet. Tanya said, don't sit on your feet at the dinner table. All the while, Tanya's sitting on her feet at the dinner table. <laughs> doing doing the very same things you tell her not to do. And she said, hey, get your hair out from over your food. And Tanya's hair was out over her food. Just funny watching that. There were three or four different things going back and forth. Tanya was doing the exact same thing, like she was looking in a mirror, you know. And we laughed about that after. We, we have fun like that. We, we, we make much of our marriage in private. Listen, your children need to understand that you love them, yes. But they need to know that you love each other more than you love them. And what that means is you prefer one another more than you prefer them. That you serve one another more than you serve them. That it's Jesus first, then your wife or your husband, then the kids. Don't get that out of order. The kids should not be on the throne. The kids should not be above husband and wife. It's Jesus, then your spouse, then the kids. You know, when I was growing up, the kids didn't eat first. They didn't. Granddaddy ate first. He got got the chicken breast, right? He got the chicken breast, not the kids. Then the kids ate whatever was left over. Now that's completely opposite. What are we doing? I'm ready to eat, right? 
make much of marriage improper. Because here's what's going to ha- here's what's happening: the way you treat your spouse is exactly how your children will treat marriage. Exactly, you're teaching them right now. So make much of it in private. What, how does it read that here in verse 4? Here's how it reads it in verse 4. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now, bed is pretty simple to understand. It's the place where you lie down. It's the place where you sleep. It's the place where you get rest, right? Marriage bed is pretty clear as well. It's the place where husband and wife experience intimacy with one another. And that should happen only in a marriage relationship. Sex belongs in one place that's in the marriage relationship. Any form of sex, be it homosexuality, be it one night stands, be it premarital sex, be it uh, any kind of adultery or sexual immorality that happens outside the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman is out of bounds. It's just out of bounds. And so we know that from this text. Let the marriage bed be pure. Let it be undefiled. And then it tells us pretty clearly that God will judge. Man's not judging. The church is not judging. God, is, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's two groups of people. One group, the adulterous folks, are mostly married. And the idea is if you're in a marriage relationship and you do any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage, that's adultery. So God will judge those in the marriage relationship that have committed adultery. God will judge the sexually immoral. Those are those who are not married but who are living like the libertines live and just said, well, I can do whatever I want to sexually and God won't hold me accountable. Wrong. You're going to be held accountable for both marrieds and unmarrieds. This means all here. All means all. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. The marriage bed is to be undefiled among all. Not just those who are married. So again, if you're single, stay pure. We can think of it like this. Sex was created for a till death do us part lifetime. It was not created for a till dawn do us part lifestyle. That is not what sex was created for. It was created for a lifetime of a man and a woman and the bonds of marriage. Now, this is not a message today about sex and marriage. We will have that message in this series, but I'll give you fair warning. Like weeks ahead of time, you'll know so you can make the appropriate um, adjustments with children and those kind of things. This is not that day. But we need to walk away from this text understanding That biblical marriage is necessary for sex. And sex is necessary for biblical marriage. That's what this is communicating to us today. So embrace that, understand that, live by that. So if we're married, how do we make much of marriage? In public and in private. Let your kids know, I can't stress it enough, that you love them, but you prefer one another over them. And here's another way you can do with your kids. Encourage early in encourage marriage early in your kids life now what I don't mean by that is encourage them to get married at an early age that is not what I'm saying 
Marriage is not something we rush into. It's not something we should just get married at an early age uh, to do it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, from an early age, teach them that marriage is a gift from God. Teach them, hey, this isn't an option, like choosing a career. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is a gift. Man, it's a gift from God. And pray for your kids to get married. Pray for the mate that they will marry one day. Pray over them. Speak well of marriage to them and pray over them. And if you're married, Tanya and I would love to have you join us in March at a marriage retreat uh, that we're working on. I've got a little video I want you to watch. So watch this video on our upcoming marriage retreat. All right, are you ready to do this? I think so. How's my hair? It looks fantastic. Sticking up anywhere? No, it looks great. Are you wearing that? What's wrong with this? Yeah, I'm wearing this. It looks great. You look great, babe. Marriage. Is yours surviving or is it thriving? Tanya and I are excited about an opportunity coming up called the Thrive Marriage Retreat. Hey, if you want your communication in marriage to thrive or your service to one another to thrive or your roles in marriage to thrive or... Uh, you to meet one another's needs and that to thrive. You don't want to miss this Thrive Commerce. Tanya's going to tell you when it is. Uh, March 11th and 12th, Park Vista Hotel in Gatlinburg. And she told you where it is. Yeah, so be lots of fun. Uh, it's going to be fun, right? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Sam and I have we have a lot of fun in our in our marriage, and we want to share with you some ways that we do that and how you can have that too. Yes, and we want your marriage to thrive. And how can they sign up? Oh, thank you for reminding me about that. that. Sign up. You can text the word marriage to 79969. There's a link in the bridge as well. And we want you to come and experience how your marriage can really thrive. And there's one way I really like marriage thriving. So come join us. We'll see you then. Again, let me stress, this is not the day for that. So we're not going to go there, okay? You'll know ahead of time. You'll know ahead of time. You'll know ahead of time. I assure you of that. But, but I do want to encourage you, if you're married, to join us at that retreat. It'll be a Friday night, Saturday morning, so register. We've got right now 50 rooms, so uh, we can't get any less than that. We may could get a few more than that. Not sure yet, but you need to make sure you register for that. And You could give it as a Christmas gift to your children or grandchildren. It's just going to be a great time of how we can honor marriage uh, in, our, in this culture that is so, uh, so opposed to God's design of marriage. So this is important. This is an important issue that we're facing. And it's not probably not going to get any better in this world. So if you're unmarried, what can you do to honor marriage? Remain pure, man. Pursue Christ. And, and don't if you're, if you're single and, and you hope to be married and it just hadn't happened yet and you're trying to figure out what's going on or, or maybe you're divorced and you want to get remarried and you're trying to figure out, man, is this ever going to happen? Let, let me say this. Don't allow this moment of singleness that you're in stop you from the mission of Jesus that you're on. You belong to Him in Christ. He's got this. He's got you. Trust Him. Serve Him. Follow Him. Lean on Him. Make much of him as he made much of you at the cross. It's time, church, to make much of marriage. It is time to make much of God's, it's not good for man to be alone. I say amen to that. It's time to make much of, hey, the bridegroom, to whom belongs the bride. It's time to make much of of the bride of Christ, man, the church. It's time to make much of till death do us part. It's time to make much of he who finds a wife finds a good thing. 
It's time to make much of, hey, what God has joined together, let not men separate. It's time to make much of, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's time to make much of in sickness and in health. It's time to make much of let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's time to make much of blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's time to make much of and, and, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's time to make much of Jesus performing his first miracle at a wedding of all places, a wedding. It's time to make much of the Lord God taking the, the rib from the man and making Eve and bringing her to the man. It's time to make much of God making a helper suitable for Adam. It's time to make much of, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's time to make much of bringing forth children in marriage. It's time to make much of showing your children. A, a, a godly marriage, the goodness of marriage. It's time to make much of preparing your children to be married and giving your children in marriage. It's time to make much of keeping your marriage vows, staying faithful to one another, walking in purity before, during, and after marriage. It's time to make much of honoring your spouse in marriage. It's time to make much of treating your wife with kindness and respecting your husband. It's time to make much of celebrating 50 years of marriage. It's time to make much of sticking together in thick and thin, in good times and bad times, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poor. It's time to make much of not giving up and not walking out. It's time to make much of marriage. The Bible tells us in Revelation 19 that let us rejoice, let us exult, be glad, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, my favorite part of that wedding ceremony, I've shared this with you before, is when the groom is standing right here, and the pastor's here, and the wife and her dad are right there, or the bride and her dad are right there, and the groom goes down to get his bride. Man, what a picture that is. That Christ is coming for his church. He's coming back for his church. And he's invited us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. My question to you is, are you ready? Have you readied yourself?